This episode of Ragcast Outdoors is brought to you by PK Lures, Bow Spider, and High Mountain Seasonings. Fish on! Hey, Radcast is on! Hunting, fishing, and everything in between. This is Radcast Outdoors. Here are David Merrill and Patrick Edwards. Hello, hello, hello. Hello, everyone out there. We are coming to you from the Bow Spider Studio and Bow Spider's headquarters here in wonderful Wyoming. It's a great evening. It's been a wonderful summer day. I'm glad to be back on the air. So we have today a, a pretty a guest you all know. Yeah. Hi, Patrick. Yeah, you might know me a little bit, but yeah, thanks for having me on, David. <laughs> well, you know, we actually have a little Q&A session today. We've pulled a pulled a question off the interwebs from the Radcast Nation. So if you're listening to this podcast and don't know what Radcast Nation is, it is a, a private Facebook group. We get on there and share tips and tricks and events. So, you know, when when you get done with this podcast, if you feel inclined, come on over and uh, ask for a Ask for an invite, and Patrick and I, we're admins, so keep it clean, keep it nice, and keep it friendly. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a fun group because you can talk about anything, hunting, fishing, and everything in between, and there's all kinds of different things that float around, and so we happen to have one that I know a little bit about today, so we're going to focus on it a little bit. Yeah, so, uh, you know, we'll just get into it. As far as uh, before we get into it, how's, how's the wing? The wing is doing a lot better. Can you can you reel? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I went out and hammered some fish a couple of times here recently. Uh, the most recent was topwater largemouth bass. That was fun. Uh, Good. Got the whopper plopper, old Larry Dahlberg's creation out there and hammered a few bass. That felt really good to do. And there's nothing better than watching a fish come up and smack a topwater. I don't care who you are. Mm. It's pretty fun to watch. I, I was sitting over a water tank in the desert last week and a bull elk <laughs> came in and, you know, it is pretty neat right at morning to watch the sun hitting the tips of his antlers and my heart got going pretty good. I, I would concur that, you know, when you're, when you're pulling a, a dry fly yeah, across the top fishing, of the lake, man, man and a, a trout explodes, I, I can concur that that gets you going pretty good, but I don't know. I still, there's something about a thousand pound critter staring you at 14 yards away and doesn't know you're there. It's pretty, it's e- either's fine. I, it just depends on the day. So t- getting back on the old fishing and we'll go right to it. This came from our, uh, you know, Radcast nation, outdoor nation podcast, Facebook group. The question comes from uh, a Mr. Jay Irvin. He's a, he's a member and a listener and a local guy here. And he asked uh, specifically, how can a person fish PK spoons? And yeah. So. Who else better to, to tell us about PK <laughs> spoons than old Patrick Edwards? Yeah, I think it's it's kind of a fun thing to talk about. It, I have a long history with PK spoons, and um, it's it's just one of those really good questions. As soon as it was asked, I was like, wow, well, that's right up my alley because I've caught so many fish doing it in so many different species. I got excited and I told him, we'll do it. So, so here we are doing Today it. we're going to cover everything PK spoons, right? Mm-hmm. And everything jigging <laughs> spoons and kind of, we're not really going to go species specific on type of fish, but just more how to fish, you know, those spoons. I think, um, what would we call it? Liquid water and hard water? 
Yeah, there's a few different ways to go. So we'll get into that. But PK Lures is, you you have that long history. So give us some back history on PK. Yeah, so PK has been around a long time. Pat O'Grady, if you aren't familiar, go back to episode four, I believe it is. We had Pat O'Grady on. He talked about just the history of PK Lures. But I came on really when it started to take off in 2009. And what he needed was to get the website going, get the business going. Um, and I had some skills and expertise in that area. So I was helping him with that. That sounds very familiar, Patrick. Yeah, it might, might be similar with Bow Spider, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so I helped him out with that. But probably one of the cooler parts of my job was being able to take prototypes and test and go out and fish with Pat. Pat's an amazing fisherman. And anybody that's ever fished with him will concur that that guy can put fish on the line, bring them in just about as good as anybody in the industry. So I I spent a lot of time watching Pat and how he fished. And then of course I went out and did my own uh, experimentation, I guess you could say with, with the different lures and different presentations. And I like the question because I, I, I was trying to think of how you, you know, could ineffectively fish spoons. And I mean, because Jigging spoons and spoons in general can be used about a hundred different ways. And so we'll talk about the main ones, but really it's one of the most effective lures ever made. Um, the PK spoon in particular and the flutterfish in fishermen a few years ago, they did an article and they were talking about the top uh, jigging spoons of all time and the PK flutterfish and the PK spoon made the top 10. So you can't really go wrong with that when in fisherman is talking about how great the top, top 10 is. lures of all time. And you yeah. got to see that company, you know, you mm-hmm. helped build their, basically their first website got to yep. go out and, you know, basically R and D and test some of these very first products. And now you, you kind of get to see, I mean, kind of the full life cycle of a company mm-hmm. from, from birth to, to transition sale. Right. And still see it continue to grow. So that's gotta be, kind of a notch, you know, on your belt or a feather in your cap, right? It's just fun. I, I enjoy being a part of, you know, anything that grows and becomes successful. I mean, it, it's, it's just about seeing the product do well. <laughs> it's kind of like with bow spider or with the PK flutterfish, either way, it's one of those things, once you use it or you see the application of it and you know, right away, this is a winner. And, and I mean, I brought bow spider to you when it was, well, didn't have a website so you you knew about it before pretty much anybody you were prototyping it and you know pat he's he's still every once in a while say hey why don't you try this out you know and take it out to boys and see how it does you know try it for this species that species and i i think that's part of the fun for me about how does how does he uh (laughs) receive it when you when you give him a report like hey yeah pat that one just didn't do well or or the other way when you're like hey man can i get can i get some of these from my tackle box he's so even killed about it like it it doesn't really phase him you know i'll say hey i didn't like this about it or i like this about it and he's like okay cool you know and and he's always tweaking that guy he's he's always taking something and and working with it to try to make it the best possible thing it could be so he's really good at taking the feedback and definitely as an entrepreneur, that, that data, that feedback, that information, it's neither good or bad. It's information. It's what you do with it, right? But mm-hmm. the more, you know, because I definitely have some product testers, we'll call them, right? That, you know, I their their opinion, I really do rely on that, you know, if they give me the Siskel and Ebert two thumbs up, we're, we're going forward to market and we're going to spend money. But if they, you know, don't, 
I want to know why, and then we can go back and mm-hmm. and do some adjustments. So, well, let's get into it. What is a jigging spoon? So it's kind of funny, you know, jigging spoons aren't anything special. They can be, if you look at some of the older jigging spoons that came out in the market, they were basically a rectangular piece of lead with a little bit of paint on it and a hook. I mean, they're nothing really special. And if you look at, you know, saltwater applications nowadays, um, PK has a product for that. It's called the Panic. And what it is, is basically just a long piece of metal and it's got a hook on it, you know, and drop it down and a fish looks at it and it looks like something that's wounded. Well, effectively, you look at bait fish, they're swimming horizontally, right? Sometimes. Most of the time in a mm-hmm. big ball, right? But when a predator comes in and, and whether that's a bird or a fish or whatever and hits that bait ball, they stun some of those fish and some of those fish that don't get eaten start swimming very erratically in weird directions and orientations and usually by themselves. And you know, that's when you get some of those outlier yep. predatory fish to, to come in and get interested in, hey, what, what happened here? And in freshwater, you'll have emerald shiners that die off when the oxygen levels change. And so they'll kind of lay over on their side and kind of flitter up in the water column and then fall back down. That's, that's a good indicator for predatory fish that there's an easy meal. And basically all a jigging spoon is, is it's kind of replicating that in one form or another. And awesome. I, say, I, did, I didn't know that. Yeah. And I say that because there's a lot of different ways this can manifest itself. So a jigging spoon can be used a ton of different ways. You can jig it for sure, but you control it. I mean, you can cast it and retrieve can it. Can you dead stick it? Just let it yeah. hang there? I've caught fish, ice fishing doing that all the time. You know, you can have like a PK spoon down in the hole, dead sticking it, something will cruise by and grab it. Um, so, and they come in all kinds of different shapes and sizes. So, so it's um, kind of hard to list exactly well, what styles spoons are on the market. I can give you some of the best ones. Like you have a flat and light spoon. So like a, a needle fish. I don't know if you've ever seen those. Um, You have oval style ones. You have peanut style ones. You have ones that are heavy on one side and not on the other so that they have some crazy side-to-side action, which the PK spoon is one of those. You have some that are slightly curved, extreme curved, all kinds of different variations. Some of them have rattle chambers nowadays. Some have clackers that bang against the side. I mean, So most of it is just to change the presentation to more mimic whatever is in the water column to eat. There's that. And there's also the mood of the fish. And so the mood of the fish is a critical piece. If you have fish that are super lethargic, you can use a fast action spoon, like a PK spoon, and they may not even look at it. Whereas if you're using a flutter fish that falls really slowly, they may just hammer the snot out of it. So something may be a little less erratic Yep. versus if the fish are active they want that erratic motion. Yeah, so you you really have to figure out what the fish is looking for and kind of what the bait is doing as well. Because if the bait's lethargic and you're out there being using an erratic bait, you may not get, if the fish and the bait are lethargic, you know, and you're mimicking a non-lethargic bait, they don't have the energy and they're like, yeah, it's too fast. Now there is a caveat to that because if, if the fish are kind of full, say the walleye are in there feeding on emerald shiners and they're kind of full, you can have a slow presentation and they won't even go for it because they've already got food stuffed into their gullet. Well, now, think, think about Thanksgiving <laughs> after, after your third meal and dessert and, you know, some ant walks by with, hey, there's one more piece of pie. And you look at it and you're like, eh. you know, two weeks before I'd snatch that up in a second. Right then it's like, no, thank you. Well, but one of the things that you can do is you can 
use the predatory nature of the fish against them. So they could be full and you could twitch that spoon by them and they grab it just because it twitched by their face and that instinct kicks in and they go for it. So some, sometimes you go against that rule of thumb and you have to kind of break outside of your box and be like, okay, I'm going to twitch this really fast. And that's, that's worked for me before where I'm fishing in an area where there's literally hundreds of thousands of emerald shiners. And if you twitch and work that lure quickly, gets those rainbow trout or those walleye or whatever it is, those predators just to come and smack it. Well, I know with like retrieving spinners, like I've got a lot of experience, blue mm-hmm. foxes, right? Yep. If you just cast that out and just give it a straight, boring retrieve, you know, depending on the mood of the fish, that can be very effective. But a lot of times if you give it just a little bit of, of some erratic, right? Mm-hmm. For, move the rod tip left and right, change your pace of reeling a little bit and just change change the presentation of that spinner instead of just being a constant slow or even medium or fast, but just a constant one direction, one, one pace that'll trigger that in predatory instinct in that fish and they'll bite. Yeah. I probably my favorite <laughs> jigging spoon fishing moment of my life was catching a tiger muskie on one and uh PK, they, they had a one and a half ounce flutter fish and it was fire tiger and Pat had put some like bucktail on the, on the treble on the back. And I was going to Utah and I said, Hey, you got anything you want me to try? And he said, yeah, take one of these with you. And of course he gave me like six, <laughs> but anyway, he said, take one of these with you. And I saw that one. I was like, man, that is the perfect color for where I'm going. I'm going to try that. And there was a weed bed and it was pretty good size weed bed. And so I kind of took the boat and kind of went off of that weed bed a little ways. And Danny Curtla, who's been on the show, he was with me. And uh, I threw off the outside edge of that weed bed. It's kind of deep. Let that uh, flutter fish just kind of flutter down. And I snapped it a couple of times. And then I saw this big shadow come up behind it. And I got really excited and popped it one more time. And he just, in an instant, just was there and ate that thing. And uh, ended up catching three tiger muskies on that particular spoon shout out to danny yeah he he loves those and (laughs) i know he's gonna be listening so but i'll tell you what man that catching muskies and seeing them come because the water was fairly clear and seeing them come up and smack that spoon that was something else man that was really really cool to watch we've talked about that several times on several podcasts that my favorite fishing is definitely top water Yep. and this 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 presentation that i was doing i was casting it out and i would let it fall next to the weed bed i would rip it up just with my rod tip i'd snap my rod tip really hard and i was using a heavy action rod snap it really hard that lure would jump up a couple of feet in the water column and flutter down and i'd snap that rod and it'd come up again it's just so much fun when you can see them come up and hit it and that is one of the best ways to present jigging spoons is actually to cast them let them sink rip them let them sink and rip them and i saw pat o'grady he, he put on a clinic one day. We went out uh, near Cheyenne. There was a little body of water. I had no idea there were lake trout in it. He did. <laughs> he had like this one ounce nickel flutterfish, casts it way out there. And I'm thinking, what is he doing? And within about two minutes, he had this really nice like seven, eight pound lake trout on. Took him a while, got it in. And I was like, and that's all he was doing. He was just letting it fall in the water column, rip fall rip and fall works really well for all kinds of stuff 
It was what makes the the jigging spoon such the a hot commodity is for fishermen. I think it's the versatility, man. I mean, you can literally fish it just about any way that you want to, and any season too. I've caught fish every time of year. I would say summer, I don't do it as much because there's other presentations that are a little more effective in the summer. But other than that, it's it's hard to beat them. I always have jigging spoons on me when I'm fishing. And, you know, depending on what species you're after, like I would say walleye, sauger, and trout are extremely, extremely susceptible to going for a jigging spoon. What seasons would, if you were targeting those three species with a uh, jigging spoon, would you say is the best? I would say for sure the late fall into winter and then the late winter into spring. Those are the best times to use a jigging spoon. On and off the ice then, but yes, but right around break up and right around freeze. Yeah, so for Wyoming, I would say Wyoming, the Dakotas, this kind of area, Montana, you're probably looking at October, November, December, and then picking that up again February, March, April. But it, it still will work all oh, year round. Absolutely. And depending on species, you know, like you said, a weed bed or dead sticking or <laughs> side of a lake or trolling. Just, oh, man. You know, it's it's not just that one place and that one. Yeah. yeah. It's it's an incredible, <laughs> it's an incredible creation. A lot of people think that you just have to hang it over the side of the boat, jig it straight up and down, or put a hole in the ice and jig it straight up and down. But there's so much more that you can do so, than that. You know, we, we've talked about all these styles of jigging spoons, but what what helps you narrow down the decision to, I'm going to pick this spoon today? Yeah. What, what are the features you're looking for? Well, the, one of the biggest things is what are they eating? So <laughs> I have some favorite colors and I have some favorite spoons. I, I look a lot at what what are they eating? You know, if they're eating emerald shiners that are dying, I'm using a flutterfish, period. Like I'm not going to mess with anything else probably. Um, if they are... Eating crawfish, there's a crawfish PK spoon that looks just like a crawdad as far as, you know, the pink color. Those fish will hammer it. We were catching sauger on it this winter. And, I mean, it's it's an incredible presentation that you can do. If I'm going after finicky panfish like crappie or bluegill or perch or something like that, that little tungsten predator that they make is a killer. Thing is tiny for what? Oh, what is it's it? Tiny. A, it's only a quarter ounce. It's, oh, it's way less than that. It's like a sixteenth ounce. The sixteenth ounce, but it's yeah. But you know, because that's the one I fished with you a little bit, mm-hmm. and usually you get that tiny of a jig. I mean, you're you're limited to like twenty feet casting because it's just it's so light. But for the size, but that mm-hmm. one's heavy enough. You can actually cast that thing out there, and so you can get into that little bit deeper water or those places that are harder to reach for some of the fishermen that you know. For the same size lure, right? So you can get to Mm -hmm. some of those fish that maybe are less whatever. And tungsten has kind of taken the fishing world by storm over the last few years. Um, I I know you like to fly fish. I mean, there's tungsten bead-headed you know, flies and different things like that. But there's a well, lot of we ice fishing. We saw tungsten take over the uh, water fouling mm-hmm. shot shells there because yep. it retains more it's energy. It's heavy. It's heavy lead. It's it tungsten. packs a punch, right? And yeah. same, same with fishing. I mean, you can have an extremely small lure that still weighs quite a bit. It weighs a lot more than lead. It's extremely hard. It's durable. Um, it's, it's a good material, stuff. but it's expensive. Boy, it's expensive. Uh, <laughs> like, like 10x the price of lead. Yeah, so when you start is. looking at the price of a tungsten lure versus a lead lure of the same size, right? Yep. Now, if they're the same weight, the tungsten's going to be half the size, which is yep. 
beneficial that we just talked about that. Yeah. Especially if the fish are wanting something smaller, but I mean, you really have three main materials that you're dealing with. You have lead spoons, you have zinc spoons and you have tungsten spoons. Pretty much that covers all of them. Um, I would say tungsten is probably the hot commodity right now, but in general, most of your spoons are some combination of that. Right. Um, I know PK, it's, it's pretty much zinc and tungsten. There are a lot of brands out there that are mostly lead. And I mean, it doesn't make them bad. It's just, they're different. It's going to make a different price point too. So, and, and it's a little different presentation because of how they fall. So when you, if you have to pick some go-to colors, cause obviously they come in every, every color under the rainbow, you know, let's, let's just say three colors that would be your go-to colors of any water, any species, any day, what color would you have in that box? Man, Kurt at PK is going to kill me because these are going to sell out probably now that I'm going to say all these, but, uh, I would say my top three for Wyoming and pretty much anywhere I would go for sure. Number one is the red dot glow. Not even questionable about that one. I mean that, that lure I've caught so many fish on it's ridiculous. So the, the red dot glow is definitely number one. I would say right behind that, you're probably looking at like a fire tiger glow. Fire tiger is a great color. Um, it's hard to beat. And then I'll pick, one of the metallic ones, because you could pick between copper, nickel, and gold. I would say gold I would pick. Um, but, but any of the metallics yeah, is just... Yeah, any a, of them are good. I mean, I I caught my biggest yellow perch, a 15-inch yellow perch out of Glendo on a half-ounce nickel flutterfish one time. <laughs> you know, I was fishing for walleye, but hey, I'll take it. Okay. Well, so that, that gives me an idea of, you know, if I'm going to first start in this and go look because i mean you, as a new fisherman you go walk up and down the aisles and you've got seven you know and, and go into rocky mountain discount sports right here in town and go look at their lure selection and you know when you're paying five to nine dollars a lure it, you, you don't want to be buying a ton of these and you don't want to be losing a ton of them either well and if you're a trout person get the pink the pink glow man that one is a killer around here for trout so with jigging spoons, is there a better time during the day? Not that we're, we're not going to specify a season, but is there a better time during the day to be jigging versus anything else? Yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of a seasonal thing too, but I would say in general, rule of thumb, I like to fish the f- like early hours of the day. So just as the sun's coming up and as the sun's going down, of course, again, I'm mainly targeting walleye, so that's part of the reason well, similar to hunting though i mean um, you can you can still scare one up at lunchtime but, oh yeah for sure but you better be out there the the first part of the day and you better better be out there till yeah. you can't see anymore and that's where those those glows come in because i know we were charging them up with flashlights and mm-hmm. pitching them back them out night. there oh <laughs> well night don't so no maybe maybe you guys don't want to charge your uh, your glows up at night and yeah. go fish them i i wouldn't recommend it <laughs> I mean, just, just go home and wait till it's noon and hot again. Oh man. Yeah. You can fish them at night. You can fish them during the middle of the day. I've had more fun, Patrick, with a headlight and charging those up because those, those predatory fish sometimes are nocturnal and guess what they're doing? They're hitting that stuff that at noon you could, you can cast your arm off and not get a bite and you go back out there at at even 7, 8 PM when it's just getting a little dark and especially burbot. Yes. As we learned this last year. Yes. Um, but yeah, I, I would say you're you're probably looking at those first couple hours. I mean, typically if it's kind of more the, you know, late spring, 
early fall. I'll fish till 10 o'clock doing jigging. But after that, I kind of put them away, go to something else. Um, but well, I find it, it interesting because, you know, I, I've told you, I, I like to do the water sports a little bit. Right. And so a couple of weeks ago, we took a few people out on the boat and they wanted to kind of lay around and be lazy and get out on the lake at one or two in the afternoon. When it's hot, which you would think is that's when you want to go do water sports activities. Right. Well, for a guy that likes to slalom ski, uh, no, I want that glass smooth water. So from seven to about eight fifteen, that's when David wants to be on the lake. The rest of the day, YouTubers can have it. You fishermen can have it. I'll come back tomorrow. From so, if you're out there trolling and you're enjoying your night, and here comes David ripping by in his powerboat <laughs> slalom skiing, don't don't shoot me, please. I'll just give you the same warning I give all of them. Don't get too close because <laughs> you'll regret it. Uh, so, what fish have you caught on a spoon? Oh my gosh. Well, I guess it's probably easier to say what I haven't caught, but, um, I, I was thinking about that. And I'm like, gosh, a little bit of everything. So walleye, sauger, Northern pike, largemouth bass, smallmouth bass, white bass, bluegills, green sunfish, black and white crappie, perch, rainbow trout, brown trout, kokanee salmon, brookies, cutthroat, splake, tiger trout, lake trout, tiger muskie, grayling, whitefish, suckers, carp, Pretty much everything. And I should have put channel catfish in there too. Um, you can literally catch anything on these things. Uh, channel cat surprised me on that list. I'll channel cat, man. I will tell you, Pat O'Grady is a legend for catching huge, huge channel cats out of Glendo Reservoir through the ice on spoons. Um, that's the first time I'd ever seen that. And so, uh, it's crazy. I don't want to pry too much, but I'm imagining you're fishing that spoon pretty close to the bottom then. Fishing down close to the bottom, um, and that crawfish color. color. Yep. It's, it's, it's a killer, man. I'm telling you that that is another one that, you know, if you have a body of water with a bunch of crawfish in it and you don't have a crawfish PK spoon, you're screwing up. I mean, you really <laughs> should up. have one. You so should have so one. for, for everybody out there listening, you know, check your bodies of water. If they have crawfish, you should be fishing yes. a crawfish lure. You, and, I mean, you should have some for sure. Um, and a lot of people are like, well, I don't know that all the fish eat it. Yeah, trust me, they do. I mean, I've had yellow perch that are full of them that I've caught. Burbot, love them. Oh, I, I, I love, love them, them too. Oh, so do, do you know I. who They're else good. loves them? Who's that? My buddy Jim Zumbo. <laughs> yeah, Jim likes them a lot. He catches them all the time. Mud bugs are mm. the closest you get to Dungeness crab. They're really good. And then walleye devour those things. And trout too. I mean, if <laughs> you would be amazed at how many trout you can catch on a rebel crawdad. You know, that old little crankbait that you can buy at the store for like four bucks. You will catch trout, walleye, all kinds of stuff on that too. So is one of the best ways to figure out, you know, what you should use is after you catch a fish, figure out what it's eating? Oh, yeah. I mean, I always check the stomach. If I always say you're not a real fisherman until you check the stomach contents of a fish. I mean, you really need to know what they're eating and kind of get an idea of what you might ought to be throwing. It, it makes a big difference for sure. So, I mean, I've done it once or twice on more of your trout species and found... They're just chocked full of either mosquitoes or this fly or that, right? And I switched to that fly pattern because I worked really hard to get that first one. You don't work very hard anymore because they're just all of a sudden, you, if, if they're chocked full of that and you can mimic that food source, it's a no-brainer. I'm going to tell you a story that's going to blow your mind. Ready. 
So my buddy Seth, he's listening to this, I'm sure. He lives up in Idaho. Hi, Seth. Yeah, he got this brook trout, and he sent me... I, I couldn't believe it. He sent me this <laughs> this photo and he said, look at how many crappie are in the stomach of this brook trout. Now, brook trout are greedy. I will tell you that. They are our greedy fish. <laughs> he, he sends me this picture. There was something like 30 of these little tiny, they look like, I don't know, like quarter sized or half dollar sized crappie that were in this little brook trout. I mean, I don't remember how big it was. Seth, you'll have to tell me later, but it wasn't a huge brook trout. It wasn't 24 inch, but it wasn't a six inch. It was a brook trout. Yeah, it was a a brook trout. It was a nice one. It had hammered those things. And so it was like, man, they are greedy little stinkers. You know, they'll (laughs) eat anything they can fit in their mouths. Uh, I'll tell you about a story about little Hunter on his, uh, one of his first trips back up to Alaska. We were mostly, uh, you know, flossing for, for sockeye salmon, but just to, just to keep him entertained, I threw a, a dollop of eggs on cause I knew it was going to happen is those trout just, I mean, they gorge themselves on eggs to the point of, he finally caught this trout about the 10th time I baited him up, right? You could just, at the end of the drift, if you just kind of dead drift that eggs, you'll just feel just fish just kind of pecking at it. Right. Mm-hmm. And we put a lot smaller size hook on than what we'd floss for. And he finally caught that trout it was puking eggs when we took it out. I mean, it was it was so full of eggs, it could not fit another one in its mouth, yet it was sitting there eating his bait. It just That blows me away that, I mean, we're talking a cup of eggs in an oh, yeah. 8-inch, 10-inch trout. Oh, and I'll tell you what, in the fall, you'll catch rainbow trout and walleye around here that have been eating emerald shiners, and they will literally throw up all over you when you pull them out of the water. <laughs> I had one this, I had this 30-inch walleye that I caught. It was the very first 30-inch walleye I'd ever caught. Picked him up out of the water, and he threw up like four or five crappie that were like three inches long. That's bait. Yeah, I was like, holy cow. And then, you know, went and put him back in. I caught another fish a little while later. And it was like a mid 20 inch walleye and it did the same thing. I mean, there were crappie up in there feeding and the walleye were feeding on the crappie. So to pretty much a standard rig on a spoon, you know, just, just for somebody who's rigging one up the first time, what, what else, how are you going to tie from the reel to the jig? What's in between? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. Um, so this one's a little bit tricky. So we're going to get into the details a little bit here. So it really depends on what you're doing. If you're fishing for, um, let's say you're ice fishing. Okay. You're going to want to use lighter line, probably, you know, probably a monofilament. Why is it lighter line during ice fishing? Well, the water tends to be pretty clear and you don't want the fish to see your line. That's, that's one of the biggest things. Um, but I've heard that lots as lighter line yeah. during clear ice, or during ice, and I just always wondered why. And there are people that use fluorocarbon and lines that are a little bit harder to see. Um, but one of the things that I do is between the lure and I go up about a foot and a half, two feet. I'll put a swivel um, up up so higher, sixteen inches above. Yeah. The, the, above. And so are you tying directly to the jig with the line and then just putting a, a swivel midline? So what I do... Or using a snap swivel? <laughs> so what I'll do, I don't use a snap swivel. What I do is I put a snap to the lure itself, tie to the snap, and then I go up 
you know, 15, 18 inches, something like that, and put the swivel there. And then um, that helps reduce your line twist, obviously, because you don't so want your, your you're line using twist just a barrel swivel 16 yep. inches up, and you're using just the snap portion off the swivel, or you yep. could just buy individual just snaps. snaps. Yep. yep. Um, and so I have that attached. That what happens with the snap? So if you've ever had a uh, a snap swivel, you'll notice that most of them have the kind of snap that kind of has a kink in, you know, it's it's almost kind of diagonal and then you got the really hard bend. So the lure, when it's hooked on that, it doesn't have as much action when you're vertically jigging. So I go with like a dual lock snap. That way it it's has more a of a rounded, figure eight snap. Yeah, it has thing. a rounded edge so that, that that lure can really pivot and have a lot of action to it. So, so if I, if I'm ex- picturing this correct, some of those snaps kind of have a, a triangle to the top of mm-hmm. them where they snap through the eye exactly. of the swivel and that triangle yeah. keeps the lure centered in the swivel, but it, yeah. it reduces how much action versus if you have that full radius that you know, 180 circle. radius yeah. circle. And mm-hmm. so if you get the figure eight snaps, they have that full radius. Yeah. You don't want, in my opinion, I have more success where I have a little bit more play in that lure and I want it to be able to have a lot more action, be more erratic. And so that's how I'll tie up for a vertical presentation. Now, if I'm snap jigging, which is a very aggressive type presentation, I don't rig that way. I rig with heavier line and I'm, I'm tying again to a snap, same kind of thing. I want it to have that action. Um, and you swivel can, still or no yep, swivel? You can still go with the swivel, but you really got to pay attention when you're snap jigging. Um, and, and the reason I say that is Al Lander actually talked about this on his show. You can lose a lot of fish snap jigging spoons because if, if you have braid and you are snapping that thing, there's no giving that line at all. Mm-hmm. And so if you hook a fish, you can tear it, especially trout. They have a really soft mouth. Tear you'll it, just right, tear it right out of their mouth and you'll lose lots of fish. You'll get a lot of hits, but you won't land many of them. And so like this spring when I was doing it, I had eight pound monofilament, which is about as high as I go around here. We don't have a whole lot that is going to make me worry, but um, I was using eight pound monofilament. So it has some of that stretch to it. And I was using that catching 20 to 24 inch rainbow trout out on Boyson. And I was snap jigging, um, the new rattle spoon that PK makes. And man, it was, it was killer. It was a lot of fun, but you know, in general, that's how I rig them just so that you don't get a lot of line twist. Um, and you want to have as much action in that lure as you possibly can. So, I mean, just to go back on this. You know, I don't think there's a right or wrong way to rig one of these, right? I think there's more justification for going from this line weight to that line weight, going from, you know, just from my experience from the Kenai, you know, you can you can floss with a 12-inch leader in, in weight, or you can go to an 80-inch leader in weight, but somewhere in between those two is kind of the happy medium, the Goldilocks zone, right? You go 80 inches, you're going to snag every fish out there because you feel the fish on the weight. Well, 80 inches away is the hook, and you start trying to set that hook. Well, it's setting three fish away, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, same thing if you run like a 12-inch leader, <laughs> but you, you, you're you're just decreasing the amount of, of fishable water you're using, right? So, And I think about there in Alaska, a lot of times we'd run braid, but then we'd run like 30 feet of mono as kind of a tippet. Mm-hmm. So you had that stretch. But then you could get into the braid. And the cool thing with braid 
kind of running it as backing, quote unquote, like I think of fly fishing because I've got, you know, 60 feet or, you know, I think 30 yards or whatever of floating line and then you go to a braid, right? Because if you just went with floating line, like on my fly reel, I'm not going to get a whole lot of line on that reel. It's going to spool up and be full by going, switching between the two, right? But definitely you go to that braid. I mean, that's a, that's a hundred percent. There's no give to that fish and you can break them and lose them. And so, yeah, braid is a really great line. I use it for a lot of applications. However, I don't use it for snap jigging. I mean, if, if you're going to do it with snap jigging, you're going to lose a lot of fish. And that's some of the just pro tips that you can learn over time. You know, Al, brought that up and I had been doing it wrong years ago and I'm like oh well that makes sense now I know why I ripped through so many fish because I like the feel of braid you can feel everything if the fish is even close to it you can feel it um but I'll tell you what man that monofilament for that is is really good you can also do like what you're saying you can have you know a uni knot and you can put like five or six feet of either a heavier mono or um you can put a fluorocarbon leader on with a unit knot that works fine. Um, but again, it's a lot of it has to do with what is your presentation going to be? If it's going to be a violent snapping of the rod, you don't want to use braid. <laughs> well, and you can also play with your drag tension from mono to braid and, oh, and get, sure. you know, if you're, if you're using strictly mono, you can go with a tighter drag because you've got some stretch in that line, right? If you're using strictly braid, you better lighten that drag up because you're going to have those issues we talked about. You're solidly connected to that fish. So yep. just justify how you're rigging it. And if it's not working, change it and ask, right? Yeah. If your drag's not set right, you're going to break your own heart. And any fisherman that has enough experience knows what I'm talking about. So if I'm bass fishing, you know, down south, or let's say I'm musky fishing up north or I'm trout fishing somewhere here in the central states what and what would you say for the jigging spoon just kind of wrap this up and you know what what's the overall thought there for because that's three different types of water three different distinct regions right yeah jigging spoons have their place that's what I would say um so back in I think it was 2010 there were some folks down at Lake Fork Texas and they were big bass fishermen and they were fishing in the springtime and they got a hold of some of our flutter fish, some of the half ounce nickel um, flutter fish. And they were killing these huge bass, you know, 10 pound plus bass on the jigging spoon. And it is an application you can literally use anywhere in the United States. And for just about any species, they will hit it. And I don't care if you're pickerel fishing in the Northeast or if you're tarpon fishing you can catch them on these. I mean, think about tarpon. They're going to hit something like that. But I mean, jigging spoons have their place just anywhere that you go. If you were to go down to the Amazon and use jigging spoons, you're going to catch fish. You can use them anywhere. And um, I do want to talk about a couple of other presentations too, because I think, you know, oftentimes we do get stuck in that rut of we're just vertically jigging through the ice because ice fishermen, they use spoons all the time. The Swedish pimple was one of the big ones back in the day. You know, the Acme Castmaster, you know, the PK spoons, but um, there's so much more you can do. <clears throat> one of the things that I've noticed is like down at the gorge, one of the things you can do for kokanee salmon is you can vertically jig them, but you can also put spoons down on downriggers and troll them and catch kokanee as well or interesting because i've always used just a buzz bomb and corn for kokanee yeah i mean you can do a lot of different things for 
for kokanee. Um, in fact, vertically jigging with jigging spoons right now for kokanee, you can smack the snot out of them. I mean, they they are a really great presentation, um, and we you know we've used that in the past. Um, but trolling them with a dipsy diver, you, you know, using downriggers. Um, are you still when them. when you're trolling them? Are you still going to have that 16 inches of leader between the swivel and the snap? Or are you gonna? Because a lot of you times, like when to. I'm running a blue fox, I just go from my main line to a swivel to the lure. Yeah. Just to make it easy to change from one to the next to the next. I recommend that people have some kind of swivel system somewhere. Um, okay. You can buy the um, snap swivel that has the the lock, the dual lock snap. And so that's what I would recommend. You know, you can use that to troll it behind the boat. I, there are a lot of times on Boyce and David where you can throw it back 100, 150 feet and just troll and catch big rainbows all day long. You know, troll about two, two and a half miles an hour you're going to catch fish. Um, and so again, you can cast them from shore and snap them back. You can straight retrieve them back. You can do all kinds of different things with spoons. So I, I hope that people listening to this will realize that a jigging spoon is not just a jigging spoon. You don't just jig it. Don't just drill a hole in the ice and just go up and down. I mean, if you're ice fishing, you're kind of stuck with that, but on the, the rest of the year, I mean, you can go to streams you can go to rivers and cast them and, and retrieve them. I mean, there are so many different ways you can fish them. The second you get a leading edge on that ice, right, you can either get in a mm-hmm. boat or get on the shore and kind of fish perpendicular to that edge, and then you can snap jig them or, or yeah. even troll them, right, if, if the ice is half off the lake. Absolutely. So. And you can tip them with things. I mean, that's a very common thing in the summertime. A lot of people will tip them with half of a crawler or a whole crawler. You can tip them with minnow heads. Um, Full minnow if you want to. Now, when you say tip them, what do you mean by that? So basically running bait off of the treble hook behind it. So I'll I'll tell you a story. There is, man, this has been 10 years ago, probably. I went fishing and uh, went with Danny and we we went after cutthroat trout. And it was really windy, kind of nasty weather. And we had some glow spoons and I put a gulp, a full like three inch gulp off the back of one of the PK spoons, the red dot glow. So a full in three inch minnow. Yep. Threw it way out there because it was like half ounce lure. So I could cast it really far. I let it sink and then I reeled it back really slowly. And what was cool is it transferred the action of the spoon to that gulp minnow. So that gulp minnow was twitching back and forth. Just like a real slow jaws shark fishing yeah. back, right? It, it was... Da-da. It was killer, man. I mean, we caught a bunch of really nice Yellowstone cuts with those. So um, I'm kind of reminded of that girl that's swimming on top of the water in Jaws, (laughs) and here comes the fish. And you know what was crazy about that trip is that the average cutthroat that we were catching that day was like 19 inches. (sighs) Average. So much fun. So much fun. And light light line, too. You know, we were fishing like five, six There definitely is an evolution of hunters and fishers from... You know, when you first go out, you just want to catch a fish, right? Then you go out and you just want to catch a lot of fish. Then you go out and you want to catch a lot of big fish. And then you go out and you just want to catch the biggest fish, right? You can, and and there's that progression we all go through. And I can remember being a little kid, you know, and I've seen it with waterfowlers. I've seen it with, you know, bear hunters and elk hunters. And it, it doesn't matter, you know, there's this progression from, I just want to get one. So now I want to get a lot. So now I want to get a lot of big ones. And then it's finally, no, I just want to get, you know, 
if if the average rainbow or brook trout in that in that reservoir is 19 right you want to catch the 24 yeah speaking of which just the other day in the mail found out that with that trip that you and i took for brookies i won the region for the catch and release on that fish so that was kind of cool. Was that's like, really that's cool. We, we got fit yeah. pictures of that. You'll have to share that out. Yeah, it was pretty cool. So we, that was only like a week and a half ago last year. We, we might know. need to make a, a day up here and go. I want to go bad. Because <laughs> archery season's starting. And once that opens, David's uh, got priority straight. Yeah. And so I have one other thing I'm going to say, but we do need to talk about our sponsors. So, you know, if you're looking to put fish like, say you want to catch a bunch of trout and you want to smoke them, you better look at high mountain seasonings. They have some of the best fish brines out there and it is hunting season. So David, I'm sure you're stocking up on high mountains so that you can make some jerky. You need a little pork suet. Uh, you could, if you, if you know somebody named Patrick, you can get some, David might have a pig somewhere too, but uh, yeah, with, with a, some fresh venison and you know, if you're, if you're into it, some pork suet or some beef suet, and uh, some high mountain seasoning, you can make so many different variety meals and treats, mm. you know, meat snacks of, of a variety that will keep you entertained and busy. And the, the cool part is, you know, you go to the, the beef jerky aisle in the in store, you know, you're pretty, you're pretty regulated to, you know, what, whatever's on the shelf and it's, it's pretty pricey and it's, it's chocked full of all these other preservatives that are, you know, now I'm not saying that there isn't stuff in high mountains, but it's, there's a level of satisfaction when you take and take pork suet from your own pig and you take some burger from an antelope doe or a mule deer doe or your elk that you got and you mix that together, you follow the instructions either jerky shoot it or whatever you're going to make, right? We make meatballs, we make all kinds of stuff. And just to put that on the table, the satisfaction of knowing where all those ingredients come from, being having your hand in that whole process. It's just like, you know, I, I really do like some smoked trout and smoked fish. One of, mm-hmm. my, uh, one of my favorite recipes, it's pretty easy. You take uh, eight ounces of cream cheese. You take... You know, usually a pound of smoked salmon, and you can add some onions and some chives. Boy, you can just take the cream cheese and just the smoked salmon. This will work for trout. <laughs> and you just flake up the trout, put it in a bowl. You just let the cream cheese sit out at room temperature, and you just mix it up with a fork or a spoon and put some Ritz crackers out. It's oh, it's way too easy, and it's way too good. Absolutely. Yeah. So High Mountain Seasonings, where where does everybody need to go? HIMTNJerky.com. So High Mountain. Yep. HIMTNJerky.com. You can get everything you need for your fishing, your hunting, any of that kind of stuff. Hey, even if you're like David and I, you're going to process some pigs, make some bacon or uh, some ham. E- even if you just want to go to the store and I mean, I, 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 I would cringe at doing this, but it, it can be done. People do it. You could go to the, you could go to the freezer and buy prepackaged hamburger and they've got some, some nice seasoning to go on top of your hamburgers. So yes, they do. They have good stuff. And then of course, bow spider, we need to talk about that a little bit. You guys are hopping like crazy. Uh, we, we are, uh, we are there again. I mean, we talked about this last time this year during season. Yeah, we are. We are knee deep in uh, in the muck, trying to get your orders out. So, uh, do me a favor and uh, you know get your order in yesterday, and you know be patient with us. We we still are a made in USA small mom and pop company, and we really do work work our tails off to get those orders out to you. 
Yep. So great product. Go to bowspider.com. Check your ro- local retail shops. If they don't have them, ask for them and you know, tell them, hey, uh, the Radcast guys said uh, you need bow spiders in your shop. Bowspider.com is the website, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Bowspider. We did launch the feature length hunting film. So if you've uh, got an itch for that, go check that out. But yeah, uh, thank you to everybody that's got a bow spider so far, and we're we're growing and expanding rapidly, which is exciting. Yeah. So the last thing I wanted to talk about is in regards to jigging spoons, and this is something that all of you need to learn before your ice fishing season. If you don't have a sonar of some kind to look at what the fish are doing in relation to your lure when you're using jigging spoons, you're messing up. Um, and I, I'm just saying you will catch a lot more fish if you have something. So I use a Garmin and I can look and see what the fish are doing. You can use any kind of flasher you want, but it is really helpful to be able to see as you present that jigging spoon, whether you're moving it slowly or ripping it fast, because sometimes under the ice, ripping it fast works, but it's really important to be able to see what is that fish doing in reg- in relation to how you're presenting that lure. Well, a lot of times you and I, because we used those when we were out there ice fishing, and mm-hmm. what's really cool for people who's never used one is there's kind of two bars on that finder, right? One is the fish, and then the other one you can see going up and down is your jig, and you can kind of see as you're giving that jig different presentations you know if you're going fast and the fish sometimes just completely sits there then all of a sudden you stop pause or then go really slow or maybe it's a big rip right it doesn't matter what it is but you can figure out the presentation that starts to get that fish to move up and that's that's kind of like a video game to me watching that is really fun to figure out oh the line's getting closer to my line oh 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 so. And, and there's a couple of different examples I'll give you. So a few times fishing lake trout, one of the things that you'll do is you'll start down low on the bottom and you'll see them coming. And typically as you start to raise that lure, that fish will follow you up. If you try to pull it away from that fish pretty quickly, typically they'll come up and they'll hammer it. You know, so that's one. Then another one that I had this last year, it was kind of entertaining. Um, I had this sauger that was watching my jigging spoon. And so I would jig it up and he would kind of come up and look at it for a second. And then I would jiggle it in his face and then he'd kind of go back down. He'd disappear right back into the bottom and he's yeah. gone. Because sometimes you have to jiggle it in their face like walleye and sauger. Typically you kind of jiggle it in their face. And, and if they're it. close enough to the bottom, the sonar doesn't dif- differentiate them between mm. a fish. It's when they rise just a little bit yep. off the bottom that the sonar picks them up. So it was kind of fun. The sun was coming up. It was prime time to catch them. And I was like, man, I got to figure out a way to get this guy to bite. So I I took the the spoon and I pounded the bottom like three times. And then I raised it up kind of quickly to about a foot, foot and a half off the bottom. And he shot up there and grabbed it. And it was a lot of fun just because it was like I figured out a way by stirring up some of that sediment on the bottom. Tim Jenny, um, he's a PK lure rep up in uh, Canada. He's like the master of, of doing that and catching fish. Um, but then there was another one that was really cool. <laughs> and I had no idea. If I hadn't had a sonar, I would have never seen this fish coming. But I was jigging. And I was jigging kind of midway in the water column because there were rainbow trout kind of cruising through. And I saw this fish at about five feet and my lure was down at 15 feet. And so I ripped it hard twice 
And that fish went from five feet and shot down and hit. And I mean, you could see him just screaming down towards it. And he smacked that thing. And it was about a 22 inch rainbow trout. So it's just fun. Uh, you, you really have to kind of play with it. You have to see what the fish are doing, see what their mood is. But if you haven't been out and checked out pklure.com and picked up some PKs, you should definitely go out there and do that just because I can tell you I've caught so many different species and lots of bigger fish. I think we've spins. given you a whole episode of reasons why to go check yeah. out our sponsor, PK. We, <laughs> we're still grateful they're on board. And yeah I've, yeah, I've used and caught fish with their stuff. I've caught master angler fish with their stuff. And yep. so I would... I'd get on there. I mean, Patrick, go go back and listen to the rest of this episode if you're questioning which ones to buy and what colors. And sorry about your uh, stock and inventory. <laughs> yeah, I will tell you, man. It, and here's the ones going into ice fishing season. Get get some flutter fish. Get the quarter and half ounce. You can catch pretty much anything on those and the PK spoon as well. And then on the predators, get the eighth and sixteenth ounce predators and get a few of those tungsten. I'm telling you, if you're fishing panfish, you're going to be very, very happy. Leave a few red dot glows in stock for Patrick and I. We got bourbon to kill. Bought them up. <laughs> 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 but no, go out there and support them. They're a bunch of great guys. And uh, but yeah, it's 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 a good thing to be thinking about. I'm excited for the fall. I'm excited for the fishing that's coming up. I can't wait. Yeah, because all, all, all us hunters will be in the mountains, leaving those bodies of water alone. So it's kind of you. like your own little, <laughs> you know, sanctuary, right? Thank you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I will be out there. That's for sure. All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, that, that wraps up uh, another episode of Radcast Outdoors. See you on the next one. Yeah, go to radcastoutdoors.com for more content. And of course, like, subscribe, and share with your friends because we couldn't do this without you. 